My wife's name is Hope. You need to know this. And when uh, we started uh, developing a relationship, I was in, in, we were both in college, and we were at uh, Moody Bible Institute, and it was kind of at the end of senior year, and we started uh, doing things socially, and uh, it was kind of early on, and kind of wondering, is this going to go somewhere? It doesn't really seem like uh, it should, at least uh, I, from my perspective, I'm, uh, I'd love it to, but I can't imagine she'd actually be interested in this guy. Uh, but I remember after we started uh, kind of seeing each other a little bit, she put a note on the, the bulletin board in one of the dorms for me, and I got the note, and I read this thing. It was a little tiny note, and I don't remember exactly what it says, but I'm reading it. And you know how it is when you're in that stage? I mean, you examine uh, everything. I mean, you are, you are looking at every word, every tense. What does she mean by this? You know, trying to read into it. If we read our Bibles the way that, you know, as, as a young man, you read a, a love note, or what do you hope is a love note, looking for these clues, uh, we should be reading our Bible. Like, that's a whole separate message here, but I mean, the Bible is a love note from the one that matters the most. Read your Bible that way. But I was looking at this, looking for clues, trying to see, is there signals here, you know, that we should continue this or not? And so I read the note, and it, it, was, it was nice, but then I noticed uh, at the end, she wrote a Bible verse. She wrote Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, And I'm like, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. is that, I think that's yeah, that's, uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you a, a hope and a future. That's plans to give you, give you a hope and a future. And she's putting this, uh, yeah, all right, so... I'm thinking, she, this is a signal, this is great. So, you know, I call her up and, hey, this is your future, Colin. <laughs> I didn't actually do that. But, <laughs> but I took this as a good sign and, and lo and behold, you know, it's uh, been many years and we have four kids and here we are today. And I asked her once later on, I said, you know, hey, that was great that you, you know, gave me this note and sent me that signal. And she said, oh, I didn't mean that. <laughs> That's she said, that was just my favorite verse. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm glad your favorite verse wasn't, you know, something from like 1 Corinthians, you know, 7. It is good for a man not to marry. Uh, <laughs> I would have felt really shot down. <laughs> but we are going to be looking at this idea of hope in Christ today. This message is living in hope. It was living in love last week, this week living in hope. And in some ways, it's four different uh, statements that are in these verses. And I see them all tied together by this idea of, of having our hope in the Lord. And this, this hope in the Lord being the fuel for each of these commands and these instructions that God gives us. So in your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12, looking at verses 11 and 12 says, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant 
in prayer. So we're going to look at these statements. I'm going to group them in four groups. We'll be talking about them, not necessarily in the same order that they are in Scripture. And we're going to be, especially, I want to try and think about how is it that hope ties these together and is the fuel for each of these. And to realize that as Christians, we have a hope that is different than everyone else. We have a hope that the world does not have. And there are many things that are part of this, this great hope that we have or we should have as believers. And this changes our lives if we really believe this, if we really are living out of this hope that God has given us. So the first point, the first thing we will say is that because we have a hope that the world does not, we can endure the way that the world cannot. We can endure in the way that the world cannot endure because we have a hope that the world does not have. It says in verse 12, be patient in tribulation, in the, the difficult times, in the storms of life. And I know there are many of you that, that have gone through storms, tribulations. Many of you are, are going through tribulations now. And it's the, the hope that we have is going to be the, the fuel, the anchor that gets us through this. We have to think first, what is, what is a hope? What does this mean? Because in uh, modern usage, we use the word hope in a different way than the way that Scripture uses the word hope. It's close in meaning, but not the exact same thing. Because we'll talk about hope as being some kind of a wish, something that we hope happens, but maybe there's barely a chance at all that it's going to happen. You, know, you might hope that your, your team is going to win the tournament, or you might hope that you're going to uh, get some promotion, and maybe there's not much of a real chance it's going to happen, but you're, you're hoping for it. And that's the way that we use hope. But we're, what we need to see is that when Scripture uses the term hope, most of the time it means something different, very importantly, different in a very important sense. If we think about some of the elements that make up what hope is, one, it, will, it needs to be something that's future. So you don't hope for what you already have. It's for something that you don't presently have, but it's something that, that, is, that is future. It's something that is a good thing. You don't hope for something that is, that is dreaded. Okay, it could be future, but something that is, is dreaded. You don't, oh, I hope I get to pay my taxes. It, people don't say that. Okay, you hope for something that is uh, a good thing to you. It's an expectation, but what makes it also different, the biblical idea of hope is biblical hope is a certain hope. It is a certain expectation. So yeah, it's future, it's good, but a biblical hope is also something that is certain. So you can put that all together and say a biblical hope is a certain expectation of a future good. And we can know that it is certain because if it's anchored in God's word, God who does not lie, God who does not fail, that this is something that you can count as a present reality even if it's yet to come because we know that the one who promised it is not going to fail to deliver it to us. So it's an expectation, not a, not a wish. So if we think of hope as something that causes us, helps us to be patient, even in our tribulation, even in the, the storms of life. Well, what are some of these? What, what is part of this hope? 
What does the Bible say that the hope is? So I want to point you to some verses. You might want to jot down the the references at least to these. And I would hope that some of these statements are things that, that you can look at that you can think about, that you can allow to be fuel to the the fire of your hope. And so these are things that we don't have to guess if these are our hope, because Scripture tells us many of these things that are our hope. One is the hope of salvation, of being saved. That there's a sense that when you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, you, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. There's a full and final salvation that is coming. But we're, we're saved from the, from the wrath of God. We're saved from condemnation. We're saved from eternity in hell. And we're saved for God and for being with Him forever. So we, we know that the hope of salvation is one. 1 Thessalonians 5.8 says, But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. We can also have this because we have, we have the host of hope of justification by faith. Galatians 5.5 5 talks about this, saying that uh, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Some translations say a righteousness by faith, being made right with God, not because of what we have done, but because of this gift of righteousness that is given to us, that, that Jesus Christ earned in our place. We have the hope of eternal life. So it's, it's not just that we're saved, but part of this is living forever with, with God. It's an eternal life, this quality of life that starts now and continues on forever and ever and ever and ever. And so whatever happens in this life is a small sliver compared to the eternity that, that follows. Titus 1-2 says, In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before ages began. This is eternal life. It is from God. And Scripture reminds us, God who never lies. You've been let down at times by people that have promised things, that they didn't intend to deliver. Or maybe they changed their mind and then they didn't deliver. Or they, maybe they didn't have the power to deliver. God is none of those things. God, if he says he's going to deliver this, God does not lie. God does not let you down. God always delivers on what he promises. He is a promise-keeping, covenant-keeping God. And therefore, you can have this as a hope. Titus 3.7 also says, So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So not only do we have this promise of eternal life, which, this, see how this keeps getting better? Not only are we saved from hell, and that, that's great to get out of hell, but even more, eternal life with God. And that would be you know, fantastic even if he just let us come and live in some you know, corner of heaven you know, rather than going to hell forever. And he does this by his grace because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. But it doesn't just stop there. It talks about us being heirs of God, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. There are other passages that talk about this 
as well. Ephesians 1.18, Paul prays to having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. That you have a, as an heir of God, who doesn't die but still gives us the inheritance, it is a glorious inheritance. I mean, imagine if you were uh, adopted by the biggest billionaire to ever uh, live, whether it's one now or in the future. That even can't begin to compare with the inheritance that we receive from, from God who owns it all, who made it all. God who can create a billion times more if he wants to. And you become a, an heir of what he has. This is an amazing grace that he gives us that you shouldn't believe unless it was in this word that doesn't lie from a God who doesn't lie and a God that always delivers. That's what it says. Are you going to believe this? It's true. Colossians 1.5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven and of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel. We have this inheritance, but it's not just that. It's just think of the glory of experiencing God and being with Him forever. It talks about this in Romans 5 too. The, it talks about the hope of the glory of God. Through Him, through Jesus, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Colossians 1.27 also talks about this, the hope of the glory of God. You will not be bored in eternity you will be thrilled more than you can possibly imagine. I don't know what thrills you now. I don't know what captures your heart. But it doesn't begin to match how amazed you are going to be forever and ever and ever in, a, in, a, in an amazement that never dries up, that never gets old, that is new and, and greater every single day for all eternity. So what you get to look forward to. As you're going through the drudgery of life, and maybe, maybe you're not in a storm, but maybe it's a drudgery and you're just clocking in, going to work one more day. You know, you have this whole eternity of amazing to look forward to if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior. The glory of the new covenant, 2 Corinthians 3.12 says, since we have such a hope, it says we are very bold. This is the verse we're going to look at tonight, this passage for the PM service. I hope you're coming to that. It's another opportunity for you to be feasting on God's Word and have more truth that you, can, uh, that you can believe that will push you through the difficult times. This new covenant that, that Jesus Christ, through His blood, enacted, that He ratified, being the sacrifice for our sin. All these benefits that we have. It's an amazing thing. So we have that not only do we have this, we have Jesus Christ himself as our hope. In 1 Timothy 1.1, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. Christ Jesus himself is our hope. So we hope in him now, and we also, we have the, the hope, the, what it says in Titus 2.13 is the blessed hope. 
the blessed hope of his appearing, that he's coming again. Have you noticed that we live in a messed up world? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed it's, it's pretty terrible and doesn't seem to be getting better? But there's going to be a time when Christ returns, when things are different, every wrong is made right, when justice actually comes into this world. And so Titus 2.13 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And through this, this helps us, this, we can get through the suffering of life, focusing on these things. We also look at, I'll turn to this in a second, but Romans 8, 18 through 25, there's so much in this passage. Because we're reading, we're looking at the book of Romans. He's talking about rejoicing in hope and all this and, and connecting it with suffering. This is not the first time in the book of Romans that he's talked about hope. It's not the first time that he's connected it to this idea of suffering. Great passage in Romans 8. It says, it says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time, and there are sufferings, we get that, we know that. Some of you are going through this. But it says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. There's a different glory that's coming that is going to be well beyond, beyond, beyond whatever our sufferings are, so that when we receive that, we'll say, it's, if you put it on a scale, it would be something that is smaller than a speck to the whole universe, the glory to be revealed to us. For the creation waits for the eager longings of the revealing of the Son of God. For the sons of God, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We live in a world that is broken. That ever since Genesis 3 and the, the fall of mankind, it has, it has cracked this world. Things break down. Things decay. Things are, uh, don't function well. Our bodies are now subject to death. We have these physical problems. We have all these issues because we live in a sin-cursed world. But this is saying that we have the hope of that one day that curse is going to be lifted, that this world is going to be repaired. It is going to be renewed and so that it's the way that it ought to be. So when we have these difficult things in life, when things are breaking down, when, when you are breaking down, when relationships are breaking down, let it be a reminder to you that there will be a day when that is not the case. That there will be a day when things are restored that are, that are better than new. That's part of the hope that is being talked about here. And verse 23, And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemptions of our body. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with, with patience. What a beautiful thing. The redemption of our bodies. We have resurrection. Unless Christ returns first, you are going to die and be put into the ground one way or another. But there's going to be a time where the dead in Christ rise, where we, we are brought back. 
When you die, you'll be with the Lord. But you're also, there's going to be a time where you receive your resurrection body and you live on the new earth forever. So much that we have to look forward to. So yeah, is this going to help you to persevere in the midst of trial? If you honestly believe these things, yes, yes it will. There is a certain and a future good in store for believers. And you can cling to this truth in your deepest times of need. Have hope. Okay, we, we win in the end. No matter how much the score is down right now, we, we win in the end. It's all worth it. So with this, we can persevere. And also because we have a hope that the world does not have, we can pray in a way that the world cannot pray. Prayer is part of how we, we cling to God in the midst of these difficult times. It's not just a duty that we, we do because we have to do it. This is something that we get to do and we benefit from this because this is us, us clinging to God, clinging to the one that can genuinely help us, the one that can give us what we need to sustain us in the midst of hard times, the one that can help us to, to fulfill the mission that he, he gave us to do in this life. And that's why in verse 12 it says, Be constant in prayer. And if you have this hope in God, if you have a hope that there is a God that is out there, and not just a God that's out there, a God that hears you and can respond, you are going to be motivated to pray to him. You're going to be motivated to, to talk to him. Think about this. We know 911 is the, the emergency call that you make. What is it that makes it a valuable thing to call 911? And I think it's similar in many ways, so what makes it valuable for us to pray, especially in time of need, but this applies all the time. You know, there's some people that say, think about prayer, that, well, it's basically, it makes you feel good. And uh, they say, well, anyone should pray. It doesn't matter what religion we pray to, and maybe it's it's therapeutic. Is that the main benefit of prayer? It's just a, a therapeutic thing that it does for us? As Christians, we have to say, no way. That is not why prayer is important. Yeah, it does help our spirits, but that is not the main reason for it. You know, people talk about, you know, sending your, your prayers and thoughts. And sometimes there's people that think, well, sending your thoughts is as good as praying for someone. Really? What good does your, just your thoughts do for someone else? Your, your, your thoughts don't actually help someone. Um, even if you're telling them this, who, who cares ultimately about just your, your, your thoughts? But prayer, if we, if we really believe what prayer is and what it's doing, this is something. Because um, the reason that we pray, like I said, is the same reason why you would call 911. You're not just dialing, picking up a dead phone with no ringtone and doing this to make yourself feel better. You're doing it because you know there's someone on the other end, Right? You, if there's someone else that's, that's listening. So if there wasn't somebody on the other end, who, who cares? But if there's someone on the other end, not only that, someone that's, that's listening, that's important. Not only listening, but you need someone that actually, they're listening, but they actually care? Because what if they're listening, but they could care less? That, that isn't good. But if they're on the other end, they're listening, and they care, and how about this? Not only are they, are they listening and they care, but there's someone that they can respond. I mean, because otherwise, okay, they're listening, they hear, they care, but oh, there's nothing I can do. 
well, you may be sharing your feelings, but they, they can't actually help you. But if they can respond, and not only can they respond, they can send the help that you need. They can respond effectively. They can send the, the, the paramedics. They can send the fire department. They can give you what you need. That's why when you call 911, when there's an emergency, you have this hope because there's someone that's listening, that cares, that can respond and can give you the help that you need. Christian, that's the hope that we have when we pray, is that there is a God that is listening to you. There is a God that cares so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. And this God cares deeply, and this God can respond. This is a God that can be active in this world. He can do miracles. He can send the help that you need. He can work in your life. He can work through other Christians. He can do whatever it takes to respond and give you what you need. That's why prayer matters. That's why we pray, because of the hope that we have. And that's why when we pray for someone else, you see all this stuff on the internet, people saying, don't just pray for people, you know, do something. Well, we can do stuff too, but prayer is doing something. You know, if, if, if I was lying on the side of the road after an accident and you came, first thing I would want you to do is call 911, okay? And that's what we're doing for people when we pray. You know, we're also going to get down and if we can do CPR and if we can help them, we're going to do that too. But let's call someone that can really help that can really make a difference. And that's why as Christians, when we're praying for other people, we're calling 911 for other people, the, 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 the operator that can really make a difference. So let's never think that prayer is just therapy. Let's never think that it's just uh, not making a difference. We're calling to the God that can answer. There's someone on the other end who's listening, who cares, can respond and effectively help. And you know what they say? When, when you call 911, um, I haven't called 911. I can't remember when I have, but one thing they always say is they say, stay on the line. You know, help is on the way, stay on the line. And isn't that what we need to be doing as Christians too in our prayer life? We're not just dialing in, hanging up. Stay on the line. You have a God that is allowing to have constant, you'd have constant access to him. It's not as if you're jamming up his signal so no one else can get through. He can handle, okay, 8 billion people if they all want to talk to him at once. He's got this. He's okay with having the line open. He wants you to stay on the line with him. So let's be constant in prayer. Sometimes it's going to be the bigger prayers. Sometimes it's ones we think through. Sometimes it's just, God help me. And that's all we can get out. But stay on the line. Be constant in prayer. And there's other things we could talk about. You know, it's not just asking God for our needs. Some of you have you've heard of the, um, the Acts model. Admiration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Make all of these a part of your balanced prayer life. That we are, we're admiring him. We're telling God how great he is. We're worshiping in prayer. We're confessing our sins to him. We need to do that. We're giving him thanks for the things that he has given us. And we're asking him to supply our needs. Prayer basically is talking to God in a personal relationship with him, knowing that he hears you. What a blessing that is. And it's based on the hope that we have, that we have this God that hears and cares and can respond. 
But as I said, we don't, we don't just pray and leave it at that. And I can't believe that people actually would think that that's what, what Christians do. But, because it's not what we're called to do at all. Yeah, when people are hurting, when they're in trouble, we'll, we'll call 911 for them, but we're also going to do everything that we can that is in our power to help them out, to give them the need, uh, what, what they need at that moment. And so we are also called to serve God. And so because we have a hope that the world is not, we can serve the way that the world cannot. We can serve the Lord. We can make a difference in other people's lives for, for God because we have this, this hope that propels us forward to do this. Verse 11 says, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. And there's some animals that they get a bum rap. Those poor sloths and slugs. Something, you know, don't be a sluggard. It's like, oh man, they can't help it that they're slow. <laughs> but we're not supposed to be like that. Sluggish in zeal. Oh, why don't we get around to it? Oh, don't have the energy to, to do anything for God today. We're not supposed to do this. We're, this passage can be translated in zeal, don't be lazy. Martin Luther translated it, be not lazy as to what you ought to do. Instead, we're, we're called to be fervent in spirit. The phrase there for, for fervent, it could translate, be translated, be set on fire by the spirit. Whether it's by the spirit or in your spirit, the word there, it carries the idea of burning or boiling. One translation says to, to be aglow. Literally, it could be be on, on the boil in the spirit. Spiritual heat, it needs to result in action. You know, you can't just say, I'm going to be all excited for God. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to get all worked up. I'm going to be all on fire for Him. We, we, we should, but it needs to be a heat. It needs to be a boiling that uh, this the heat gets produced into to, to steam that, that, that makes the locomotive go, that results in action, that moves us forward in the life that we're supposed to be, to be living. It needs to lead to actual service. Otherwise, non-serving enthusiasm, that's just self-centeredness. That's just making ourselves feel good instead of using that to propel us forward to serve God. We need to be doing many things for God with intensity, with, with passion. And it's, gonna re- it's going to take sacrifices. Serving God results in it's going to take sacrifices. There's things that you're going to have to do that you don't want to do. It's going to mean sometimes sacrifices of your finances, of your free time. It's going to mean sacrificing your comfort to do things that you are not comfortable doing, but you know that's what God wants you to do. And the sacrifices of service, they're motivated by hope. If we have this hope that the sacrifices now are worth it in the future, that's what causes us to do this. It's like investing now so that we have something greater later on. Why does the farmer go through all that work? It's a lot of work to prepare the ground, to till the soil, to plant the seed, to do all this. When all you have to see for it at the end is a bunch of moved around dirt that supposedly there's seeds underneath. 
But they do it because they know that there's a hope that those seeds are going to germinate and grow and it's going to turn into a crop. We serve in the same way. We plant the seed. We do what we need to do because God is going to work through this and he's going to change lives for his glory. So in order to, to serve in, in, in to sacrifice, we need to be able to look forward to something greater on the other side that makes it worth it. So don't lose steam in doing God's work. Don't let that steam go out. Thinking about this, it kept making me think about like a steam locomotive. You know, you get this heat of the, that's in the firebox and it, it, you know, in, it heats the water in the boiler and causes steam and you have this, this massive locomotive pulling tons and tons and tons down the road, or down the road, the, street, the trade tracks. Obviously, Paul didn't have this in mind, but just thinking about this a little bit, you know, it's like we need to keep the firebox of our heart. We need to keep the flames going there to keep, to keep the, the, the steam from going out. We don't want to lose steam. So if you think about this, think about your life as being like this locomotive. Okay, so the firebox is, is your heart. And you've got to keep the, the, the flame going in there so it creates the steam to, to move your life so you can have be action. And I think if your, fire, if your heart is the firebox, then the coal is the Word of God. It's, the coal is the hope that we have, that we cling to, that we get through the Word of God. And <laughs> prayer, reading the Bible, is the shovel that takes this coal and puts it into the firebox of our hearts so that we don't lose steam, but instead we have, we have more steam, we have more energy to be living this life that God calls us to. And if you started to lose steam through prayer, prayerfully reading this word, be shoveling this into your heart, into your firebox. That is what you need. And that will get you so that you can still serve God in the hard times, that you can still cling to him in the hard times, that you can do things that you would have never imagined that you could do. Titus 2, 13-14 says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, our, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. It's based on this hope that we have. The glory of God, but God also created you to, to be making a difference, to be actively serving. And finally, because we have a hope that the world does not have, we can rejoice the way that the world cannot. We can praise God. We can have our hearts, even when it is the biggest storm in life that we're going through, the most difficulties. You can have a heart of joy that maybe, maybe there are, are tears of grief on the outside, but a heart of joy on the inside because you have, you've been shoveling that coal of, of the Word of God, of hope, into your firebox. And that's not going out anytime soon. And so you're going to keep going on the train tracks, even in the midst of the storms and the tornadoes and whatever it is. We can rejoice in hope because this, we know that even in the storms, the storm will not last forever. 
the storm will not last forever. Say it with me. The storm will not last forever. Whatever you're going through, no matter, even if it's the rest of your life, it is, that is a sliver of time. It will not last forever. Therefore, we can, we can rejoice. Think of the inheritance that we have. You've gotten the first fruits of it now. You've gotten a taste of the joy. Imagine you go home and that Monday you get in the mail, you get a check for $1,000. Like, wow, this is great. I got $1,000. You'd be probably pretty thrilled. And it was, but now find out that you won some sweepstakes you didn't even know you had. And this $1,000, well, you actually won a, a $100 billion. Okay? That's kind of what it's like now. We've received a little bit, and it's great. We praise God when we get here. But it's, it's hardly anything compared to what's coming. It's amazing what is coming, the hope that we have laid up for us. Let me read the rest of Romans 5, 1 through 5. It's a great passage. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. No matter what storms you have, no matter what you're going through, remember that, Christian, you can still say, yeah, but I'm saved. But I'm saved by God. And you know what? Maybe you're here and you're not saved yet. Maybe you don't have this hope right now. The thing is, you can have this too. And you can walk out of here with, with this hope in your heart. Read an account of a certain school administrator that was going through a, his religious school to take a spiritual census of the school. And he approached one of the teachers and said, in his record book, and said, shall I put you down as having your hope in Christ? And this teacher said, no. And this administrator very tenderly said, I will put you down then as having no hope. And he wrote it in his book and closed it and left. And according to his account, that was, that was enough. That just the conviction in this, this young teacher that he had realizing that, yeah, without Christ, there, there is no hope. And that is the, the sad truth, that without Christ, there is no hope. But God has extended this to you through the cross. Jesus Christ has died on the cross. He is, he is risen. And he offers you, by his grace, this gift of this, this eternal hope. And all you have to do is, is turn to him. Turn to him and say, God, I realize I don't deserve this. I have sinned against you and it grieves my heart. But I believe this. I believe what you, you've said. And I, I, I want to take this. I want to take you, Lord God. I, claim, I believe this and I claim you as my Savior. If you will do that believing God's word, you can walk out here with these promises applying to you. I pray that you would. We're going to close in prayer. When I say that, I'm not going to close. You're going to close. We talk about being constant in prayer. I want to give you a minute or two of just quiet, personal, silent prayer. 
Tell him what you need to. Dial that, dial 911. Spend time in response to him, thanking him for this, calling out to him what you need, and after a little bit, I will close. So it's every, every person, pray, and if you haven't trusted him, this would be the perfect time for you to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your promises of your word, and that because of your promises, and because of the work that Jesus Christ did, with his perfect life and his death on the cross in our place, and the offer of the gospel, Lord, that we have this hope. We do not deserve this hope, but you give it to us. You are a God that does not lie. You are a God that does not fail. Help us to cling to this. And may it provide a, a fire in the firebox of our hearts that will get us through any difficult time. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.